Welcome back, everyone, to another Eats Beat podcast, the most delicious podcast in the Metroplex. I'm Bud Kennedy. And Steve Wilson. We have a great day today. Our guest is Molly McCook from Ellery. Good morning, Molly. Good morning. We're going to talk about uh, everything that Molly's doing. She's a, a nominee for the, uh, let's see, a, a semifinalist, let me get this right, for the James Beard Awards Best Chef in Texas. Yes, Did sir. Did I get that right? Okay. There are all these layers to the James Beard Awards and you're a semifinalist and then you're a finalist and then so uh, you know I wanted to be sure to get all that designation right first of all this is the first year that Texas is its own region in the James Beard Awards which is like the Emmys or Oscars of the restaurant business and to have someone here nominated for best chef is tremendous Uh, we're going to talk about some of the other dining and food news locally and some of the other headlines but I think right now the big headline is Ellerby so Molly tell us about the, the James Beard uh, n- uh, nomination and uh, semifinalist uh, status. And most of all, tell us about what's new at Ellerby. Well, we're really excited about the nomination. It was, uh, we, we are, you are. We are. I am, <laughs> yes. But the whole team, it really is a concerted effort for the entire team for me to be nominated. So, um, you know, there's always the people in the back that make it all happen. So without all of the team together, this wouldn't have been possible. So we're really excited to have the nomination for me. Um, It's a great honor. It's really exciting to see so many new faces on the nominees for and right here in Fort Worth. There's a couple of us. So James Beard switched up the um, map a little bit this year and broke in broke Texas into now, its Tex- own area. Now we are finally our own dining area. We don't have to share with Phoenix. Exactly. And uh, we don't have to share with all those Santa Fe chefs, which was always kind of hard to break through some of those sometimes, it's, too. Yes, I think it's really helped um, broaden the look at Texas. You know, we had so many for so many years that it was either Houston or Dallas. Then Austin started to pull a little bit of that. But it was hard if you weren't in one of those major cities to be – looked at. So now having Texas as its own area, I think we're getting to see um, a broader cast of chefs that are being nominated. Well, you're talking about Texas, but I mean, the great news here is that the semifinalists, we have two semifinalists here, both women chefs. Yes. The uh, the other semifinalist is, is uh, Bria Downey from Clay Pigeon, who is a semifinalist for um, best up-and-coming chef. I'm sorry, I can't remember the exact title. The Rising Star. Rising Star yes. Chef. So uh, Bria Downey from Clay Pigeon and Molly McCook from Ellerby, the two chefs who are honored here. You're kind of breaking through the um, Tim Love, John Bunnell world here in Fort <laughs> Worth. Uh, congratulations. And what do you think about that? Well, you know, John Bunnell and Tim Love. Oh, I didn't mean to single those guys no, out. No, no, <laughs> no. And, and Dina Peterson. I think yes. Dina at the Modern uh, was the the first chef that was like considered one of the big chefs. And now Dina does catering. And then you came along with Ellerby. But talk about women breaking in as as uh, as chefs. Sure. I, I think you're seeing a lot more women higher up the, in the ranks in the kitchen now. Um, we've always kind of been put to the side to pastry chef or you saw us more in the garmagee area but you know a lot more women are holding their own and it's nice to see us being recognized finally in that sense what did you work as on your way up everything Mm -hmm. (laughs) everything except for pastry you know i feel like 
chefs are either the savory side or the sweet side. And so I never did pastry, but, you know, I started as a prep cook, then did nothing but amuses, did garmanger. Uh, I've done saute, grill, wood-burning oven, did it all the whole way up. So you have to kind of learn how to do all of it before you're, you're at the top, I feel. When you opened Ellerby, how did all that come about? I know the two of you, you know, the, the, the storyline about growing up on the same street in Shreveport and all this and, and bringing this kind of, in my mind, Louisiana dining culture. When you when you go to Ellerby, it feels like you're at a little bitty commander's palace or something. You, you bring this kind of New Orleans style. But how did all that really come about? Well, thank you. First, I'm glad that you have that feeling of a commander's palace or somewhere um, classic, because that's what we always strive for at Ellerby. But it really started, you know, Richard and I are both from Shreveport. I went to Colorado for my undergrad and got my degree in restaurant resort management and then kept moving west and spent about six years out in California going to culinary school and training under some great chefs out there just kind of honing my skills. And about that time, my sister got married. She started having babies. My parents were still in Shreveport. My sister was here in Fort Worth. And I really was ready to start moving closer to home and have my family again around me. So Richard was here in Fort Worth. Um, And one night, you know, over probably too many glasses of wine, I said, hey, I want to come back. I want to go to Fort Worth or at least Texas. Um, I was actually going to Austin at the time and said, you know, I really I want to open my own restaurant. And he had always been a part of the part of the uh, industry, but was not actually in it at the time. He was working for a local company, Buxton here. Right. And um He was intrigued, but he wasn't ready to make the leap yet and started just kind of working on him and working on ideas. And and then he came to me and said, I'll do it as long as I can be in Fort Worth. And I said, well, done deal. That's easy. I'll definitely be there. My sister was here with her child and her husband. So um, made the leap and moved here to Fort Worth, started pulling our ideas together of what we really wanted it to look like and to feel and started looking for a place. And the rest is history. 11 years later, here yeah, we are. Yeah, I was going to say, because I was say, you, you just celebrate 10 years. We did, And yes. so so it took about a year to get going before y'all actually opened up? It did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was about a, about a year, 18 months altogether, mm-hmm. which flew by and also seemed like the longest time ever when you're trying to remodel an old gas station that has half a roof. And, you know, we were so green that we didn't know what we didn't know. So that kind of helped out too. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you just kind of dive in and go for it. I always kind of think of them as the anchor at Magnolia. Well, they were, I mean, they were the anchor, they were the first... Ellerby was the first restaurant on Magnolia that people from the west side came to. And I knew that Ellerby was going to make it one night when uh, there was a, a, a limousine out front. And I, I saw you know, the driver had gone in. The driver came back out and was leaning in the door and said, no, I'm sorry, they're full and they can't take you tonight. <laughs> so, the, uh, so someone in a limousine, whoever it was, couldn't get into Ellerby. And I thought, okay. This is this is this is finally made it. Magnolia has arrived. And so it, you were their first customer. 
No, no. no. Uh, no you were one of our very first lunch customers. Lunch customers. Oh, yes. Yes. I came in. I came in. I was there the first day. I know. I didn't remember being the very first. But oh, but believe the, me, we do. Richard came <laughs> running back to the kitchen. Oh, I think my Kennedy's every, walking in every, right now. <laughs> everybody was excited. Everybody was so you know. And of course, it was back then the. The, the front room was more was meant to be like a little to-go shop or a little wine and to-go. It was supposed to be like a gourmet takeout, yes. I guess. And and, uh, and that's all changed. But, of course, the, the style has not changed in the, the, since that day. And the, the, the menus broaden. You know, I, I tell people that, um, that, you're, that this is Louisiana and, you, and you're very best at the Cajun Creole dishes, whatever you get. You be sure and get the the mock shoe and the the uh, you get seafood if you see something you like get the redfish and the mock shoe and you'll never go away unhappy and I and I know that there are elk burgers and things like that but the the, the Creole seems to work the best but you try to have a, a broader menu than Louisiana has the menu changed or the mix of items on the menu changed over the eleven years. Yes and no. I've always wanted it to be very focused. So we keep a smaller menu, seven to nine entrees at dinner, about the same size at lunch, um, because I wanted everything to be very intentional that's on the menu. I don't want to just have 20 items just to offer 20 items and throwing a dart at everything. Uh, We really think through each one of our dishes and all the components for it. And so my goal is to train the front of the staff to be able to talk with our customers and clientele, find out what they're looking for, really be able to understand what goes into each one of the dishes, how they are all prepared, all the elements to it, so they can then explain that to the guest so that they know what they're getting. And and goal is that everyone walks away happy of course and this is where everybody who's listening is wondering well what do they have and so talk about the dishes that you recommend are the things that are the most popular items well i always have one steak as we're in fort worth you got to have a steak but i made a decision a long time ago you can but i made a decision a long time ago that i know i will not be the best steakhouse in fort worth we've got amazing people who do that here and you know that's that is their own realm the longest time you had the nice little baseball cut and we still do. We yeah. still carry a baseball yeah. cut. Um, it's one of my favorite cuts. I think it's um, a crowd pleaser for very sure. Fl- very flavorful. So we, we always have a steak. We always, as you mentioned, have a redfish or some, some type of a southern Cajun style dish. And that's my ode to home. And then the mock shoe side has been there always. It started out uh, on our very first menu as part of the redfish dish. And it Which was so is popular. not quite like Corn O'Brien or, or, or green pepper corn. It's a little different. But it's yeah, it's kind of that cross between one of those or a creamed corn, yeah, and then you add in your shrimp and yeah. fresh tomatoes at the end. So, in uh, a little pancetta, you know, bacon makes everything better. Yeah, um, but I really try to focus on seasonality. So, anything that you see that is from the farmers um, is going to be as fresh as possible. So, right now, this is my favorite time of year to cook is springtime. So. Last week, we got to start rolling into a couple of our new spring dishes. So we have two new things right now, a wild boar from Broken Arrow Ranch and uh, beet ravioli from one of our local farmers. That sounds good. Yes, yes. And so it's it's really fun to work with those 
fresh ingredients from the farm. That's what I always focus for. I'm going to ask you a smart aleck question. Are there enough farms to stock all the farm-to-table restaurants? It's like you, you and, and uh, you know, Wishbone and, and you know everybody now is farm-to-table. I, I noticed one of the places that says all locally sourced, and and I looked down the list, and and, uh, most, and a lot of it was coming from farms that were like in Mission or McAllen or Edinburgh. And I thought, you know, local is getting really broad these days. Mm-hmm. Yes, I think I think it depends on really the chef and the commitment to it. You know, that's something that I've always... You have to go out and find these farms and find these sources. I do, but I also have a lot of farms, thank goodness, now after over 10 years, they come to me. So it it definitely is much easier than it was, you know, five years ago even. And also the farm-to-table movement has grown so much. I think that there is more support for the local farmers, and so there's more of them out there able to make a living off of it now than it was. Steve, uh what do you think about Ellerby's bread pudding? Have you tried that? Yeah, no, it's good. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> let me tell you, everybody who listens to this podcast knows that Steve is very understated. And when he kind of smiles and winks and says, it's, uh, it's good. Yeah. I mean, that means it's good. What, what makes your bread pudding different from everyone else's on the face of the earth? Well, the recipe is my mama's. So my yeah. mother's mother you don't Um, use yesterday's stale rolls to make it like some restaurants no we don't no we use good old texas toast so uh, a pullman style bread and ours is much lighter it's not that dense heavy compact eggy thing that you used to have that you remember having or seeing on the cafeteria lunch line with raisins and whatnot no raisins no nuts in it Uh, it's kind of a funny story Growing up, it was always the competition between my mother's bread pudding versus my grandmother's bread pudding um, with my father. And he always said my grandmother would win, but he knew better than to ever tell my mom that. So, Is that what got you on the James Beard list? Is this the James Beard bread pudding semifinals that... I think it could. I I, think th- that they might should be have their own little section for the wannabe pastry chef like me who, who has the bread pudding. Well, it, it, it is really different. And uh, I mean, people I know who hate bread pudding, you know, will share some you know, with a, a table and they go, hmm, and then they'll reach for three more bites, you know. And it, it's like, and it's, uh, you know, bread pudding, a lot of restaurants is a throwaway and you make something really special out of it. Um, Steve? Uh, over 10 years, what's the most dish that uh, dish has been the most popular the one you sell the most it would have to be the bread pudding, bread pudding for okay, sure right. yeah uh-huh. the bread pudding our house made ice creams uh-huh. that uh, i got my ice cream maker as our one year anniversary uh-huh. from richard and i was uh-huh. so excited and it's still going strong it never mm-hmm. gets a break so uh-huh. those are definitely our most popular in demand but those are the ones that don't change change just stays know. on the menu the whole yeah, time yeah right? so it, it is crazy you know we can tell as soon as we put something new on the menu mm-hmm. it's always the most popular not mm-hmm. only are the guests excited about it but so are our servers they're really excited to be able to talk about something new learn mm-hmm. something new and 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 pass that along mm-hmm. yeah it is so great to talk with you i wanted to talk with you and hear all about i retell all the shreveport stories and i'm glad to hear you tell them in person well thank you for so, having me thank you Madam semifinalist, <laughs> Molly McCook of Ellerby, we hope to have Bria Downey from Clay Pigeon on too. And until t- next time, I'm Bud Kennedy. And Steve Wilson. <laughs>